With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter, at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited. Well, uh, that's my, in- my engineer, that being me. Uh, hitting the wrong key. This is Don Mazzella. We're not closing the show. Rather, we're opening it with uh, uh, a very special guest tonight. Um, uh, I, I just met Mike, Mike, um, uh, Mike Marzetta uh, just two days ago. And I was so impressed with him that I invited him on the program. Uh, Mike is a serial entrepreneur. And uh, someone I think uh, we all should listen to. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, Don. How are you doing? Well, we're, d- we're doing fine now that we've uh, got that little hitch out of the way. Uh, Mike, w- we always ask our guests first to tell us a little bit about themselves personally and a little bit of their personal background before we get into anything else. Um, let's see here. I'll give you the the short uh, the short or the long version. But uh, I went to uh, college at the University of Minnesota on uh, uh, wrestling scholarship and uh, got my master's degree there in organization development and uh, came back to work in the family business, which is uh, a contract manufacturing company by the name of uh, Altec, and we've got close to about 200 uh, employees. Uh, servicing uh, medical aerospace, high-tech industries. And then uh, my passion uh, a number of years ago, kind of prompted by a midlife crisis with with my wife and I, uh, decided to start a new company by the name of Mind's Eye to sort of give back. Um, Our our theme is to kind of uh, make a difference and have fun doing it. It's kind of a robotics, Legos on, on steroids, have you, really, High powerful, high technology stuff, and I guess that's about. Uh, I guess that's about it. Well, uh, ro- robotics is how ha- is how uh, I got to know you because 
As you know, I'm on the board of the National Robotics Education Foundation, and our executive director thinks very highly of your products. What what um, what what do you offer? That um, uh, and I know it's interesting, but tell our audience what your your mind's eye is about. Um, well, what we tried to do, and it kind of started back uh, oh a number of years ago at Altec when we had. Uh, local uh, kind of workforce shortages as far as the skilled labor gap is concerned. And uh, and that's also a national issue, like everybody knows in most of the high-tech uh, industries and clusters around the United States. And uh started getting involved with the high schools and uh, the colleges and stuff like that. And uh, just kind of found, uh, kind of was left wanting in terms of the num- the, the products that they have to choose from, and and the the, the quality of those products, and able to um, give kids the the skills that they really need in industry, the the skills we were really looking for, not just the technical skills, but the uh, what are called the 21st century skills like teamwork, communication, critical thinking, stuff like that, and. Uh, so uh we just decided to uh, invent our own product to uh to fill the gap I suppose for lack of a better term. So what what um, what is your product? Um well it's base it's kind of a uh uh flexible construction system kind of the foundation of it is uh you know uh quick lock mechanisms that uh lock into place and are very strong and durable and light. And kind of you can kind of build anything that uh, you can conceive, anything that you can picture in your mind's eye. You can bring it into reality, whether it's a robotic arm, uh, a flying drone, or a uh, Mars rover, or automated lawnmower, uh, you name it. And uh, and then the extension of that is um, creating labs and curricula that... Uh, teaches the teachers and gives the teachers and the kids a roadmap on how to apply it uh, in the classroom. And uh, that's the whole trick uh, is, uh, you know, learning how to apply it in the classroom without uh, losing your foothold in, in, in the world of industry uh, in terms of where, where the application really takes pla- place and also without losing a foothold in the field of fun <laughs> and excitement because, uh, 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 you know, getting the kids jazzed up and passionate about it obviously inc- improves the whole experience quite a bit. Well, we're talking about, if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, that in a lot of schools today, it's like ro- build, uh, kids build ro- robots for competition or build uh, robots for personal use and that sort of thing. Am I, uh, am, is that what we're talking about here? Or do you go beyond that? Yeah, uh, a lot of schools uh, do their own robots, uh, build their own kind of, I call it scratch build, or do something like uh, First Robotics, which is, you know, kind of mostly scratch built robots and stuff like that. And uh, if they're doing that, then, you know, they've kind of graduated and, you know, they're doing what we need them to do. But the the greater bulk of the schools are out there that uh, don't really have anything. And so uh, our our system is kind of a system that they can put in to 
get them going, so to speak, and give them some tools to work with and make it a little simpler and simplify the technology and bring it down to a level without losing the power of the technology, bring it down to a level that they can use and understand. So if a teacher, um, if a teacher wants to utilize uh, um, building something that like a, like a robotic arm or to have the kids do it, that, that's where you come in. Am I right on that? Correct, yeah. And not just build a robotic arm, but understand the science behind it. So if I'm doing a robotic arm, there's probably some, oh, there's some servos and gear reducers in there that uh, reduce the speed and increase the torque. There might be a sensor where it's uh, detecting a uh, the presence of an object and thus telling the robot arm to pick up the object and do something with it and employing some autonomy. So uh, it can be taken pretty far. You know, well, it, might it might coordinate with a second robotic arm or a conveyor belt and uh, do some more sophisticated, complex tasks, so to speak. Well, well right now, uh, there, there's a big movement to utilize ro uh, robots or robotic applications in a lot of fields, including healthcare. Uh, Johnson and Johnson just teamed with Microsoft uh, to, uh, to do uh, uh, healthcare-related uh, programs. Um, why is it important for small um, for uh, young people to learn these critical skills? Uh, well, in my humble opinion, um, the kind of goes back to advanced manufacturing, and I would liken that to some of the products we do at Altec where, um, you know, we're doing things like heart defibrillators and uh, ultrasound machines and aerospace sensors and power supplies that, you know, things like that pretty much have to work. You know, laser eye surgery equipment, there's not much room for mistake. And that's kind of in the realm of advanced manufacturing, and advanced manufacturing is really heavily tied in with the technology, the, the, the STEM education, the science, the technology, the engineering, math. You really have to understand the full uh, composite of how those things work in order to be able to operate in that environment. And the things basically in the manufacturing world that aren't considered to be advanced manufacturing, uh, you know, we're losing out th those out to the rest of the world as far as the developing nations and stuff like that. If you're going to be doing garbage pails or something like that, you know, you can do those in Mexico or China or Indonesia or India just as well as you can do here. But if you're doing a heart defibrillator and that thing has to work, um, there's only one place you want to have that manufactured, and that's the United States. And it's important uh, because there just are not enough trained young people to fill the jobs that are becoming available. Yeah, it's the skill gap. There's you know everybody's saying, well, unemployment's so high. How come you can't find any people? And it's a real challenge for everybody. And unemployment is still a bit high, and uh, yet you need uh, to have the 21st century skills to work in our kind of environment. Anyways, that we have at uh, at Altec, there's just you know, there's some entry-level positions, but ultimately what we're selling is knowledge. We're selling knowledge and we're selling confidence to the customer that our product is going to work, that they're buying at the best cost, that the design is robust. And uh, to the degree that you're selling knowledge, your skilled force has to be a knowledge-based workforce. And, 
And if it doesn't require knowledge in order to do the job, then, you know, that's where the, the countries like China and India fit in, where they can manufacture that stuff uh, just using, you know, low-skilled assembly labor and, and beat our pants off. Well, you you said that you and your wife, Cindy, co-founded a company and you wanted to give back. How, how are you giving back um, in, in this program? Uh, in these programs? Um, well, just in terms of giving back, as uh, we look at it, as uh, my, my wife, Christy, and I, is just to, uh, to try to make a difference in the world and uh, in our small way. And uh, uh, I try to do that in everything we do uh, in, my, in my job at Altec. And, uh, uh, but, you know, hopefully uh, this Mind's Eye uh, system will uh, take root in the education system and um, teachers, uh, students, administrators will kind of uh, see a new vision about what education could be and uh, and, and be able to kind of grow their programs from there. And uh, um, so it sounded like a worthy cause. <laughs> well, well, obviously, I think it is too sitting on the floor. Um, uh, but now let's go a, a little further in the field. And uh, uh, you're considered one of the more knowledgeable people in robotics. Um, small um, uh, robotics education, but small businesses, um, we always use the figure that there are 250,000 unfilled jobs expected by uh, the year 2017. But are there opportunities for small business in the robotics area? Um, yeah, I mean, I've got a pretty broad definition of robotics, but, uh, or, you know, I would even include things like, you know, automated ERP systems and stuff like that and automated accounting systems and order fulfillment and, uh, search engines. But, uh, certainly, uh, from old school robotics, any physical task that, uh, uh, needs to be replicated or, 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 Done uh, very uh, efficiently and accurately. Um, there's always great fits for robotics. The whole CAD system, CAM system, part measurement, product measurement now is it's can be able to be done robotically, and um, there just doesn't seem to be any substitute for it. At least in our industry, so a lot of the tolerances we're holding. And the things we have to measure and validate and test, uh, you know, really can't even be done uh, with the uh, without the aid of a robot in most of the cases. Well, I like it that in, in Japan they're teaching robots to pick uh, strawberries. Uh, I thought that <laughs> yeah. was funny. But, um, but uh, as someone pointed out to me earlier this week as well, robotics includes drones and uh, drone uh, affiliated programs, et cetera. Um, yeah, it seems that seems to be the big, uh, the big buzz these days is around the drones and, uh, it could be a, a world changing, uh, phenomenon if, uh, some of the things that you see on TV that, uh, are kind of aimed to be a little bit futuristic might not be that many, many years away. Like, uh, for instance, the Google driving car, for example, you're already seeing sort sort of evidence of, uh, 
some of the major uh, automobile manufacturers starting to get uh, certain fundamental uh, foundational pieces such as obstacle avoidance and collision avoidance and self-parking and a few things like that that are building blocks to actually self-driving cars. And, uh, you know, you've seen uh, some of the things that Amazon's uh, attempting to do around uh, uh, drone deliveries and stuff like that. And, uh, and most of the technology is already there today. It's more like it's more of a socio-political uh, challenge in terms of the technologies kind of outpacing uh, what popular culture is uh, still trying to figure out what they can live with and what they can't live with when it comes to privacy and other things like that. Hmm. Well, you know, it was interesting. Just today, we got a. Uh, I'm a I also sit on the board of a medical marijuana company. <laughs> just, just uh, yeah, talk about the. Uh, um, but uh, we just got a proposal for a uh, robotic uh, watering system. As you may or may not, as you may or may not know, um, um, marijuana requires very constant. Growing marijuana requires constant and uh, even distribution of uh, light and water, uh, which I didn't know before I got into the business. But um, uh, we just got a proposal today, and and when I looked, it was a small company. So, um, and and I thought it was really appropriate that we were having you on tonight, Um, uh, because... uh, to me, the the real need is to make sure our young people have the skills to to um, work in this area, and not only robotics but manufacturing. And I'd like to go back to your your product, your offerings for a moment. And how do you how do your offerings help them learn to uh, think and to act and to be team players? Um, I don't know if the products in themselves, uh, well, the products in themselves obviously help them to, to, to think in terms of, uh, it's a, it's a creation system at the, uh, uh, at its base root as it's, you know, it's a scattering of parts, microcontrollers, software, servos, motors, and I assemble all those pieces together using my, uh, intellect into making something do something. And so, um, you know, that's obviously going to help improve their their thinking skills to be exposed to that kind of technology and the ability just to uh, adapt and to learn and to try different things. And then we try to do things in an interactive team environment. Um, Most of our lesson plans and the things that they have to build and invent uh, are done in a group of uh, three to five kids. And so they can kind of leverage each other's strengths and uh, also, again, trying to mirror uh, what industry uh, uh, likes to see and, uh, and where some of the gap lies between the, uh, uh, what the schools are presently teaching and what really happens in industry because industry is so complex and intertwined, uh, you, you can't just be an expert in one field. You also have to understand how your specific piece dovetails and interacts with everybody else's piece and so thus teams are not a uh, teams are a prerequisite and so it's not an option well uh, you you've been in business a relatively short time but um uh have you been able to measure the uh, the uh, 
the success of your teaching me- methods, and also how do you measure that if you do? Um, you know, I'm not kind of uh, uh, I'm not a very traditional thinker. I mean, a lot of the measurements that I take are observations. You know, uh, you can observe the the passion in the student. You can observe the excitement, the focus. The, you can see the team spirit, you know, and the kids thinking and changing their mind and trying something new and experimenting and adapting. Um, you can see them stay after school for two hours because they're so enthralled in their project that they can't leave home. They can't leave it to go home and play. And um, and you see the products that they come up with and the challenges that you're, they're solving. And um, and that's uh, to me that's the evidence. Um, you know, and and most of it's qualitative. Uh, the, the school system, you know, likes to kind of make everything quantitative and passing tests and stuff, and that's important. But it's pretty tough to cr- put a grade on somebody's creation. You know, almost grade it more like an art project, but also based on functionality. And uh, those are the things I observe, and those are the things we're trying to uh, to encourage, I suppose. And the teachers are pretty pumped up, too, so that's nice. <laughs> so. Uh, it is. Well, you know, this is a generation uh, uh we're raising kids um, uh, that, uh, that are really much more tech-savvy, certainly, than I am. And they seem to be able to adapt to, to technology much better than, than older generations. I, do you see that as an advantage? Yeah, it's quite an advantage because... Um, you know, we service anywhere from the low of uh, middle school to uh, colleges, and it's kind of interesting when you're teaching new programming language. It's it's I would liken it to uh, it's almost exactly like teaching a foreign language because when you're writing code, you're actually writing sentences, you're using syntax or your letters and your commands, and you're writing sentences and paragraph that tells the robot exactly what you want it to do. And when you think about uh, whether I want to start a kid off teaching him a foreign language, uh, any foreign language, uh, what's the best age to do that? You know, it's usually uh, when they're pretty young. The younger, the better. And so, you know, we get questioned a lot. They're like, wow, you can teach this to middle school kids, and this is still appropriate for college? And it's like, well, if they they don't know the language yet, then they're actually kind of late in the game. <laughs> you know, so yeah, we teach it to middle schools. We prefer to teach it to middle schools, but, you know, unless you guys already know it, this isn't something you can really skip over. And, uh, you know, so it's uh, the the kids' brains at that age are significantly more uh, malleable, you know, that they're, they, they just are... You know, they don't have it filled up with the 25 years' worth of information. They can just shift gears and learn something new significantly faster, it seems like, like programming than than, than can a, an older person. And I say older, I mean, you know, college age, which which is young to, to guys like you and me. But. Well, you know, you, uh, again, the name of your company? Uh, Mind's Eye, Mind's Eye Education. And uh, uh, if people want to uh, learn more about it, what's your website? Um, the website is uh, mindsieducation.com. 
repeat it again for our audience, please. M I N D S I Education dot com. Hmm. Um, it's a very it's a very robust and interesting website. Uh, I went on it uh, yesterday and I was just uh, overwhelmed. Um, uh, it's really something. Um, we always ask this of entrepreneurs: uh, What are the three things that you've learned over the years that uh, you would say are key to growth in a small business or any business? Um, probably number one is just you know just continuous improvement. You always got to keep. Uh, Perfecting the formula and uh, uh, avoid avoid complacency at all costs, and just question your assumptions and challenge your beliefs, and uh, you know learn new stuff every day, and, and that keeps you uh, advancing ahead. Hopefully, at a rate that's uh, at least equal to or faster than the rate of uh, competition advancement, of course. And uh, you know, probably uh, another one would be. Uh, the power of people, uh, which took me a lot of years to figure out. And, uh, you know, as we're doing lean manufacturing and Six Sigma and all these things and trying to drive them to some degree uh, uh, to some degree through the, the top and the leadership and wondering why people aren't getting excited and enthralled and everything. And, um, and really because we had the, the priorities messed up. And uh, people just always come first, uh, even when it's a technological solution, people come first because they're the ones who have to embrace it and use it and, and make it happen. And... Uh, you know uh and and manage your culture probably would be the third one is after recognizing that people are the key and you know start asking yourself uh not just you know what product we want to make and how we want to make it and how we want to service our customers but uh what kind of an organization do we want to be what do we want to stand for um whether it be teamwork or family or unity or <clears throat> belonging or uh you know, making a difference in the world or uh, uh, anything that, uh, you know, captures the hearts and minds of, of your uh, of, of your uh, invaluable workforce uh, to make it something uh, more than just uh, a product and dollars and cents. Everybody knows it's got to be profitable and it's about dollars and cents, but um, but you have the opportunity to change people's lives in the in the uh, and, and the course of, of making dollars and cents. So, uh, well, you know, yeah. you, you said that on Monday when we had our conversation. And as the listeners will hear um, uh, uh, in the next interview, which I taped, those are exactly the things that John Scully, the ex-head of Apple, said were key to, to uh, success. success. And I was just struck by it because I had just finished the interview with John. So you and he are on the same uh, uh, hmm, way. I'm in good company, I guess. <laughs> I, I think so. And uh, um, uh, I, I'm glad you repeated them from uh, Monday because uh, I wanted to give you the compliment. It, um, it, uh, it really struck me because I had just finished the interview with John. And uh, it... it you know, the, those seem to be the key. 
And the other one that always people always talk about is manage your cash flow. But you've managed to capture almost all of them. He didn't even mention cash flow. But anyway, yeah. our our listeners will hear that uh, next. Uh, Mike, I was really glad you uh, came on the program tonight. Um, uh, I hope our listeners uh, learn something and uh, um, uh, see the opportunities both for the nation's youth and for uh, themselves in in this uh, exploding robotics industry. Um, the New York Times just announced that it's creating a new uh, a channel called Robot Robot. Robotica, R-O-B-O-T-I-C-A, uh, in which all things robots. So uh, sweet. Uh, um, you 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 know that the uh, um, that the world uh, robots is important because now the New York Times has it as a separate section. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Turn the corner. <laughs> Well, it, it's not of record until the time says it. That's right. So, all right. Uh, <laughs> Mike, we hope you come back again sometime soon and we uh, talk more. And again, mindseyeducation.com. Did I get it right? Yes, sir. Thank you very okay. much, Don. It was a pleasure talking to you. No, we're so glad you came. Thank you. Thank you, sir. We, we good? Want to know more about health savings accounts for your company or yourself? Go to 2hsa.com and get a free employer's primer. Health savings accounts are a cost-effective way of offering health care benefits to your employees and yourself. HSAs build retirement funds for your employees, improve morale, and reduce your health care benefit costs. For a free employer guide to HSAs, go to 2 hsa.com that's to hsa.com our guest tonight is a real honor for us it's john scully uh he's a nationally known business person leader of of, uh, two great companies and the author of a new book uh john welcome to the program thank you don nice to be with you well, as we ask, uh, always ask all of our guests, we first want to know a little bit about yourself personally before we get into, into the, anything else today. Tell us a little bit about yourself, John. Well, I was uh, born and brought up in New York City, and I uh, lived out on Long Island. Uh, I went to um, university at Brown University and the Rhode Island School of Design. I went on to Wharton Business School, got my MBA, uh, started out in uh, marketing, uh, working with the uh, one of the largest uh, marketing advertising agencies in, in New York City. Uh, actually started working on the Coca-Cola account, uh, doing market research. And then I was recruited to PepsiCo. I was the first MBA that PepsiCo had ever hired. Uh, they weren't quite sure what to do with me, so they put me out on a route truck and had me work in bottling plants and I learned the business getting my hands dirty which by the way is the best advice I can give any entrepreneur uh, if you want to really understand the business you got to understand it at the operating level 
And then I was at the right place at the right time. I joined Pepsi when it was a very small company. Uh, it was actually really a strong regional uh, soft drink brand in the U.S., uh, outsold about 10 to 1 in most of the southeast and southwest at that time. Uh, we're going back now um, to 1970, uh, quite some time ago. I was fortunate. I was um, uh, promoted uh, relatively quickly over about uh, four years to become the marketing vice president of Pepsi-Cola. And um, it was at that time that I worked on such things as the development and launch of the first two-liter plastic bottle, uh, selling into new channels like mass merchandisers and drug chains that had never carried soft drinks because they didn't like uh, glass bottles because they broke. Um, I helped develop a campaign called the Pepsi Challenge, which uh, enabled Pepsi in, in markets where we were outsold 10 to 1 to eventually pass Coca-Cola. And I was eventually promoted to become the CEO of uh, Pepsi-Cola Company, and I did that for five years. Uh, we, by that point, had passed Coca-Cola as the largest selling consumer packaged good in America. And it was because of the work that I did at Pepsi, with, particularly with the Pepsi Challenge, that Steve Jobs uh, recruited me to come to Apple because he believed in the early 1980s that technology would eventually become a business that would have to be marketed much the way consumer products like Coke and Pepsi were marketed during the Cola Wars. And his great vision was that uh, personal computers were going to be tools for the mind that would change the way that uh, non-technical people would be able to become both creative and more productive, the so-called knowledge worker era. And I was at Pepsi, excuse me, I was at Apple uh, from a year before the Macintosh was introduced all the way um, until Apple became the number one selling personal computer in the world. Uh, that was a 10-year uh, run while I was CEO at Apple. We grew from uh, less than $800 million in revenue to over $8 billion in revenue. And um, I then became an entrepreneur. And I've been an entrepreneur for the over 20 years now, uh, helping start companies, mentoring companies. Uh, today, I don't actually run businesses anymore, but I uh, mentor, invest, uh, rainmake, which means open doors, put deals together uh, in a number of different uh, industry sectors. And it's really in that last era uh, that I've been in for the last 20 years of being an entrepreneur that uh, led me to write a book called Moonshot, because I saw some things that were going on in the world, Don, that are so incredible in terms of the opportunities for small and medium-sized businesses, particularly entrepreneurs, to be able to game change and build transformational companies. And I wanted to tell people about it because I've been lucky to be at the right place at the right time, and I wanted to be able to pass those experiences on to others. Well, I have to tell you, your book is absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I read it, uh, still reading it because it's uh, got a lot in it. But um, for our audience, can you kind of sum up what your main themes are in the book and what you sure. hope that they will get out of it? Yes, I can. Uh, I think of myself, though I've been in high technology now for 32 years, I think of myself as a marketing person. And so I look at technology from the standpoint of, so what are the derivative effects of these incredible technologies? And how do we build businesses around it and take advantage of the technologies? So the biggest change that is happening right now 
and it's something that's really unprecedented, is that the rapid growth of several new technologies, not just one, but several, cloud computing, uh, giving us the computational power beyond anything we could have imagined a decade ago. Mobile devices, the smartphone has now surpassed the television as the most important consumer technology in the world. Big data analytics, everything is data today. I grew up in the world of mass marketing. You know, today, if you want to be a marketer, you've got to understand predictive analytics, big data as it's called. And these things are creating a power shift in the marketplace. So it's not the technology that you should focus on so much, it's the effects of the technology. And what it's doing is it's shifting the market power from incumbent companies, often leaders in their industry, companies with great products and reputations, but now along come new companies, and the new companies may have a better product or service. And if they do, customers are now in control, not the producers. And the customers are in control because of the communications we have today, because of the access to information uh, we have today, and the social media, which lets customers listen to the opinions of other customers and to be able to pass on their own opinions. And so customers pay more attention today to the opinions of other customers than they do to the established reputations of even the best incumbents in the industries. And so it's a huge opportunity. And it's also, in the book Moonshot, uh, gives pretty good detailed explanation as to why are some of these companies in just a few years, three, four, five years, becoming so incredibly valuable, and why will this happen again and again, and how you can be a part of it. Well, that's a fantastic um, summation. Um, uh, an interesting statistic that I came across my desk on Monday was the fact that uh, still a majority of small businesses still are not embracing this. Uh, because they they're, they seem to be afraid of the technology, afraid of, of using it. What advice do you give uh, an entrepreneur or a small business as to uh, how to how to uh, kind of parcel out these changes and uh, apply them to their to their own business? Well, I have to uh, reveal here that that I am a huge believer that the future of our society in America, our economy, um, really revolves around how successful we are as a country in terms of making it possible for small and medium-sized businesses to be able to continue to grow. I mean, how do we deal with the increasing regulations? How do we deal with the uh, changing opportunities and the changing competition? And so uh, what it really means is that an entrepreneur, a small and medium business owner or executive, needs to have a broad curiosity. You've got to be interested in what's going on. And what I learned years ago uh, in the years that I was working um, with MIT at the MIT Media Lab was that you have to be able to see a problem from multiple perspectives. And you don't really understand something, uh, Marvin Minsky, a famous a professor at MIT used to say, unless you see it from more than one perspective. And I think a small and medium business person needs to realize that technologies are commoditizing rapidly, but it's domain expertise in different domains and connecting the dots between these domains. 
So, so why did Kodak, for example, miss digital photography? They were the leader in the world, and yet um, companies that had started in the digital era, like, like Apple, um, saw that photography was going to move to the smartphone, and uh, they took advantage of the fact that wireless communications was moving from uh, simple text to the ability to see photos and be able to transmit them over um, a regular smartphone. And it was Apple who ended up uh, owning the digital photography industry, not Kodak. And so a small and medium business person needs to be well-informed and they need to have a big curiosity. And they always need to see something, and this is what I try to lay out in pretty much an instructional format in Moonshot, to see the world through the eyes of the customer. Always start with what's in it for the customer. What's the big problem you can solve for the customer? And can you come up with a solution that is better than whatever solutions exist today? If you can, uh, you've got the first principle of you know, how to build a successful transformational business. Start with a customer problem. And then in Moonshot, Don, I also go through and explain what I call the customer plan. Uh, many people are familiar with the term business plan, and that can be a pretty uh, laborious process, often taking months to put together each year, the annual business plan. But actually, uh, I don't see that much more than just a budget exercise because it's basically looking backwards and saying, okay, so next year we hope to do a little better, so how will we have the additional money we can generate from doing a little bit better, and how do we allocate it from department to department? That isn't how you build a transformational business. The way you build a transformational business is you have to build a customer plan, not a business plan. And the customer plan says, what does it take to address the big customer problem that hopefully you've identified and to say, how do I engage customers to you know, be excited about it? How do I look at the cost of customer acquisition? How do I uh, retain the loyalty of customers once they have come on board? It may astound people to realize that it typically costs five to eight times more to retain a customer than that you may have lost, uh, I should say, to replace a customer that you may have lost than if you had retained that customer in the first place. And so uh, when you start to realize how valuable a business uh, can be when you see it through the eyes of the customer metrics and when you build a customer plan, it's always about how do you, you know, build a plan that gives you differentiation versus what the other choices are out there for those customers and leverage the things that you can control, which may be you know, unique ways to acquire customers, unique ways to build loyalty with customers, unique ways to monetize the customers. And what I uh, reveal in Moonshot are many of the successful strategies that other people have done. Moonshot's not my autobiography. Moonshot is a conversation with entrepreneurs in many different industries about what did they learn, how did they apply it, particularly through this idea of building a customer plan. Well, in, in today's world, it's fairly, uh, it's a lot easier to reach out to your customers. Uh, I really should put that as a question to you. Is it easier today to reach the customer and to better identify the customer than it was, Absolutely. say, 20 years? Absolutely. If we go back to even during the era that I was CEO of Apple, we didn't have 
much better information than when I was CEO of Pepsi. Um, you know, we were uh, kind of looking at, at large categories of demographics, and we didn't know exactly who was going to buy our products or how frequently they, they may uh, want to uh, continue to look for a, a, a product over time. Uh, we just didn't have much data. Well, guess what? Uh, all of this data is available today, and because of the reliability and the uh, dramatic improvement of not only the power of computers but the uh, cost of being able to personalize this data down to individuals, this kind of information is available to every company, not just big companies, but it's the small, agile companies that take the time to understand how accessible this kind of information is, how cheap it is to get this kind of information. But the key thing is, how do you put it to work? And how do you commercialize a product, an idea, a marketing campaign in a way that is going to be able to deploy it? So the key insight is uh, not that this is possible uh, or not that there aren't a lot of people with good ideas, but it's all about commercialization and execution. And here's the thing which I found uh, so significant from the most successful entrepreneurs in many different industries that I t talked with in putting the book Moonshot together, and that is you never learn from your successes. You always learn from your mistakes. In fact, your successes often uh, cause you to be a victim of your success because you assume that the reason you are successful may or may not have been the reason you were actually successful, and you often become complacent. I mean, why is it that Microsoft and Intel, who dominated the 1990s during the era of the web with personal computers, and yet both of them missed mobility? I mean, how is that possible? I mean, they had uh, very smart people. Uh, they had incredible resources, and yet they both missed mobility. So you have to have the perspective of seeing things through the eyes of the customer and then being able to map into that uh, what are the advances in technology that make things that were expensive in one era actually incredibly cheap and in the case of knowing your customers at a personal level actually very practical to know exactly who your customer is exactly what their behavior is uh, and then being able to uh, take that knowledge and turn it back into a business campaign and these are the types of things which uh, small and medium business owners and executives are moving to. And I call this uh, being an adaptive innovator. Uh, not everybody needs to be Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or uh, Larry Page from Google or Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook. You don't all have to be geniuses to be able to participate in this. But what you have to be is someone who is curious with an open mind, willing to work hard when you see an opportunity, uh, sense the urgency to be very focused, and you have to be able to learn how to use these new tools that are all about uh, applying data. And so I'm a big believer in being able to use uh, data analytics. Now, I was lucky because I studied math in graduate school, and I come from a marketing background, and I've been working with data my whole business life. So uh, to me, this is like the best time in my life uh, because now the things that we thought of as just uh, academic decades ago suddenly are in incredibly practical today. And they're ex available in various types of services from different uh, technology and other business and marketing cloud companies right now. You don't have to go off and become a mathematician in order to use it. 
Well, uh, a question uh, that comes up often when I talk with our audience is the fact that uh, many of these uh, companies that take advantage of all this are really run, uh, started and run by younger uh, people. And there almost seems to be a generational gap between the, the younger people in, in uh, some of these industries and the older people. Uh, do you see that or do you uh, see uh, uh, innovative people who are uh, older generations? Well, I'm older generation and I still feel pretty innovative. Um, <laughs> but I don't uh, take for granted that I'm going to be able to do it as well as the younger people. And so uh, you have to be able to tap into the young talent. And anytime anyone worries about America, just get out and uh, go to one of the incubators where these young people are uh, working together. In many cases, uh, four or five companies will, will resident in a location, and they get to network with one another. Uh, but you know what? Uh, they love having a mentor. And so for me, I say, gee, I can be a mentor. I can help them commercialize their businesses. I can be a rainmaker. I can open doors. And there are other people like me out there. So uh, you have to say it takes a team to build a company. You know, building a t company is a team sport. And you have to figure out uh, when you're putting people on the bus, get them into the right seats. So you don't have to have uh, everybody doing the same thing. It's great having uh, a few gray-haired people uh, on, on the team who can uh, be able to put into context the experience they have. Uh, but you also wanted some young people on there who are bringing in new talents and have a lot of high energy. So uh, it is a team sport. Uh, it's a very interesting. Uh, I've gone to some of these incubators, and you're right about that. It's amazing how um, they work uh, 20, uh, 20, almost 24-7, uh, seem to have a, a whole different approach to the way things are, are done than certainly uh, my generation. And I think we're somewhat contemporaries. Um, uh, as a final sum up, uh, what would be the three things that, that uh, uh, if you had to sum up every, everything you said, uh, you would say to our audience? Well, number one, building a business today, whether it's a business you have and you want to continue to uh, make it successful or whether you're thinking about even starting a new business, it all starts with the customer. Uh, and if you're going to solve a big customer problem, you better have a really good product. Uh, I've been fortunate, Don, because uh, I've always worked with companies that built great products. I've never been in the position where I had to sell a mediocre product. I wouldn't honestly know how to sell a mediocre product because uh, I believe that uh, so much of the success uh, has to revolve around getting customers to talk about the products. What, you know, what do they like about it? So I'm constantly in interested in getting customer feedback. So it starts with a big customer problem that has to be identified. You have to create a solution or a product or a service that matches as closely to uh, what you believe is the most exciting way of solving that problem for a customer. And then it's, it's all about getting the right people in your company. It, it's always about the people. The, the people are more important. I'm talking about the people in your own company are more important than the ideas. Now, here's the interesting observation I'd make about Silicon Valley. You go out there as a young person 
uh, you're valedictorian in your school, you think you're pretty smart, and guess what? You show up and you discover everybody's a valedictorian. There are lots of ideas. There are thousands of good ideas in smart people. So why, if there are so many ideas in smart people, are there only a handful of really successful companies? And the reason is it's all about people. And so you've got to pick the best possible people to work with you. Remember, team sport, build a team, and being able to attract the right people to work together. And then it's all about timing. I mean, you've got to be doing the right thing at the right time. Sometimes you can be too early. Uh, sometimes you can be too late. So uh, it's customers. Uh, it's getting the right people. And it's doing the right things at the right time. Well, uh, the, uh, the name of your book again and where people can get it? Yes, the name of the book is Moonshot, uh, How to Create Game-Changing Strategies to Build Billion-Dollar Companies. It's available on Amazon. You can get it as an e-book. You can get it as a hard copy book. You can get it as an audio book. Uh, it's designed for uh, people. You don't have to be an engineer to read this book. It's designed for uh, people in business who think about things in an intelligent, common-sense way and who are really interested in building you know, customer-focused businesses. Well, a question. Why did you decide to write the book? I decided to write the book because I've been so lucky in my life to have been in some really interesting places at transformational moments. I've worked with some of the most talented uh, business people in the world over a good number of decades, and I said that I want to pass some of this on. I want uh, people to realize that they can do it too, that there are lessons here that I and others have learned uh, that can be first principles for those who want to go out and build their own businesses and build their own successes. You know, I'm a big believer that America's future uh, revolves around innovation, entrepreneurs, uh, being able to adapt. That's why I call them adaptive innovators, to adapt to the changing opportunities and the incredible tools that we have today, such as uh, mobility and big data analytics, cloud computing, uh, how these things can dramatically change the cost of doing business and the quality of customer experience that we can offer customers. So I wrote it uh, really because I wanted others to be able to um, enjoy some of the success and, and fun, really, because I really enjoy doing what I do. Uh, that is very much possible today all over the world. Well, John, thank you for taking uh, your time today uh, to talk with us. Uh, if they if they wanted to reach you or how, uh, or learn more, is there any way they can uh, – do you have a website or something? Sure. Yeah, you can go to John Scully. Uh, uh, my website, johnskelly.com, that's S-C-U-L-L-E-Y. Uh, you can go to Facebook, and you'll see um, that I, I use social media, Facebook, Twitter. Um, so you can find me there, also under John Scully. And um, you can buy uh, Moonshot, and you'll, you'll see there's a lot of discussion groups around uh, Moonshot. Uh, there are many who are doing blogs uh, around the book. Uh, so it's all about uh, getting connected into a network of people who are interested in the same kinds of things you may be interested in. And there's a sweet spot out there, I think, uh, for small and medium-sized businesses. Well, thank you again, and uh, 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 we hope you'll come back again and uh, talk some more. It's certainly, I've certainly learned a lot today. 
Great. Well, I appreciate you inviting me, Don, and, and I've enjoyed the conversation. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience and profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.